What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast. This is episode 135. Hope you guys are all doing absolutely fantastic. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about how to compose a drum solo. Our featured artist this time is none other than Tim Alexander. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out a Doc Sweeney Blue Tiger Ash drum set. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Man. Even my counting is lethargic today. Dude, you're going to have to carry this one, bro. I don't know what's going on. Uh, what, you got a snowstorm over there? What's up? <laughs> uh, we did We did have a little snow for the first time and since I was a kid. Uh, it lasted for about eight seconds. Uh, no, it's been raining nonstop. This is this is how England feels all the time. It's just gray. Oh, can Nothing you hear my, you hear my tiny little violin? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I shouldn't complain Because it's raining and it's still 68 But still, it's just gray I'm so used to blue skies Anyways, moving on, I'm good Moving I'm good. on, I don't want to tell moving you about Moving on, the... you whiny little <laughs> Beach ball uh, Yeah, so well, how Everything's about, good How about that opening groove, who was that? That was Mike Malone And it was, yeah. what did he say? That, that was inspired by some Stanton Moore beats I've heard over the years It didn't sound like Stanton Moore to me It sounded like just like funky good time it sounded cool, and I think he recorded that percussion. I thought, oh, he just played to a loop, and then as I read more and more about what he did, I think he recorded, I think he tracked the percussion, too. Yeah, so what do you use? A new classic kit with a 20-inch kick, 12, 14-inch toms, 13-inch Oliver co- drum company, Walnut Snare. Don't know that company. Have to check them out. Um, uh, Bosphorus cymbals. Yeah, he's using Santa Moore's Groove Hats, a Gold Crash, Traditional Ride. He added Congas, Tambourine Congo, uh, Cowbell. Cool. I mean, that was a really clean sounding intro. No, that, that if we were doing a contest for our <laughs> final intro, that's in the top five. That's, that's in the top clean. five. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because it's just nice to talk over. You know, it's like, oh, cool. Thank you. You're setting the groove. Um, you're playing better than either Mike or I. So that's great. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, and he did say, that he was sipping on a little bit of big Bigelow pomegranate green tea while recording that. Uh, so that makes me think he might be from Europe because Bigelow's a big European tea company. Is they're it? They're not that big here. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely here in the States, but they're much bigger over there. But who knows? Maybe he's just, uh, that's how he rolls. He wants to feel a little... Uh, a little British while he does his grooves for us. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Either when way, when I killer. hear a Bigelow tea, I think of uh, Imus in the morning because that was always one of his sponsors. Bigelow tea and Pierce Boilers or something like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude. So East Coast. I, just, I can't even handle it. I can't even handle it. Oh, my goodness. Bro, I – okay. You know I obsess a little. Like when I get into something, I get in. Yeah. Right? right as we all and should. And it – yeah, and it's it's definitely detrimental to my health, but whatever. Things happen. <laughs> so, by the way, uh, can we just talk about the fact that I haven't had a health scare in like 100 <laughs> episodes? I'm due for a hey, good pass out face into the floor. Let's not have that. Let's knock on the wood. Right. <laughs> Knocking on the wood. Uh, so anyways, so my obsession lately has been color grading. But mm. to like a debilitating point that I can't film anything because I spend... From the second I wake up, I go film myself in front of my snare wall, and then it all of a sudden is midnight, and all I've done is sit at a computer and work on color grading and skin tones and getting Why, like putting in thousands <laughs> of hours to make it look like I put in zero hours. Isn't that, that is the so most hard frustrating to do. part? I mean, I've, I've contemplated putting up a raw 
version of one of my Instagram videos just to kind of show like this is what it looks like and right this is what I started with <laughs> yeah like to, I'm and orange then, and everything is just really terrible yeah <laughs> and, and so I mean I'm doing the thing where I put a little piece of gaff tape where my light is behind my camera shining towards my face and then I move it back one foot at a time and I put a label B C D E F on each piece of gaff tape and then I take all that footage in and I check everyone and see what is the optimal distance for the light to be from my face so that it's not giving me any um, blown out highlights. Uh, yeah, yeah, having better cameras is like having better microphones. Oh, it shows yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. it's like when HD TV became a thing and like, wow, right. everyone looks really ugly on TV right yeah. now. <laughs> I'd be way better off just shooting everything with my iPhone. I, <laughs> my iPhone just goes, don't worry, bro, we got this. We will handle everything for you. Uh, so yeah, so but it's also it's it's not just trying to get it to look good. Looking good is hell. I could just tell Amber to give me a face full of makeup. I could look great on camera. Looking good isn't what I'm going for. It's trying to find a look and a brand. Of, so when you see that footage, you go, oh, I know that's a Mike Johnston thing. Like mm-hmm. I want my footage to be the way that drums used to be for sound, where you would hear it and you go, that's Louis Belson. I know that's not Art Blakey. I know that's Louis Belson. And I want my footage to have that thing where the second you see it, you go, I know this is a Mike thing. Even if it's even if he's not in the shot and he's just panning up towards some snares, that's what Mike's footage looks like. All right, but well, we got to unpack do you do- that a little bit then. Okay. Did you start with a look and now you're trying to figure it out? Or are you discovering the look as you're getting used to your gear and learning the software? And It's, it's a little bit of both. So there's definitely a few people in the YouTube landscape that are cinematographers where they're also educators and because they're cinematographers, when they do a a teaching lesson, their footage looks dope because they're like shooting it with movie cameras. They've got like a lighting director and I'm just chasing that by myself in this room with my little camera and my little lights. Right. And I'm hell bent on like, I don't care. I, I don't believe that it's your camera and it's your lights. I believe that it's your knowledge and what you're putting into the software. And you know what you're looking for. So one of the things that's tough is let's just keep it uh, related to sound. You get a snare mic. You hit your snare. It sounds like crap, but you don't know why it sounds like crap. That sucks Mm -hmm. because you know it's, it's somewhere inside the EQ plugin, but you just don't know. That sorry, man. It's the 700 hertz. That's what's going bananas there. Yeah. But if you don't know that, it's like <clears throat> I gotta go 702, 704, <laughs> 706, and just bring them all out. So that's kind of what I'm doing. And um, I just today uh, got to the point where I was like, that looks awesome. And then I was so slightly bummed because I was like, that looks like I did nothing to it. <laughs> like, oh yeah. But right, isn't that right. kind of where we are with sound? It's like yeah, it takes. You know, $5,000 of mics and compressors and plugins to make it sound like a drum set. Interesting. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. You get a new, Mm -hmm. let's say you get a new camera and a new light. Yep. What's the first thing you do? Do you spend a lot of time adjusting those two things? Curves. Well, yeah. First, first I'm trying to get it. No, I mean, first I have to get it. Do you know what zebra stripes are? No. Okay, so... If you have a decent camera, it's going to come with ze- your camera that you have. You have the Canon T3i, T4i? T3i, and then we have a 6T here for the office. Okay, so the 6T definitely has it, but the T3i, I think, has it too. So you could turn on, you can go in the menu and turn on zebra stripes. And what that does is it'll put little 
stripes in any place that's blown out, that's overexposed. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's just it's um, it's like peaking, but it's for exposure. So the first thing I'll do is I'll turn on zebra stripes and. I have a monitor, like a little five-inch monitor that HDMI's out of my camera so that my camera can be five feet away from me, but I'm holding a monitor in my hand and I'm looking at it going like, okay, my forehead is overexposed. So then I'll either adjust the light or I'll adjust, adjust the exposure on the camera. I get all the peaking of the exposures to be done. And then I'm looking for color balance, uh, making sure like, yeah, that's what my skin kind of looks like. So I definitely try to get things right in the camera first. Uh, then from there, then I take it into Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro, whatever you use, and then I start with curves. So the light curves and really getting my blacks to be black, getting my whites to be white, but nothing's clipping. I'm not clipping any blacks. I'm not clipping any whites. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it goes to the art mode. From there, it's like, okay, that is my skin tone. That is the lighting that I'm looking for now how do we make it have the look and feel? Like, what is the feel that I'm trying to create? And it's exactly like recording a drum set. I don't want to record a drum set for a metal band the way I just recorded a jazz group. It's yeah. like, it's going to be different because I'm going for a feel. And so the feel I'm going for, am I going for a warm feel and I'm pushing towards the oranges and the yellows? Am I going for orange and teal, like maybe an episode of NCIS Miami? Uh, so all these mm. things, like I'm so obsessed right now. It's it, out of control. It sounds like it, but that's that, <laughs> it's very. I mean, I'm such a novice that it feels like when I first got my recording studio gear, I'm like, what do I do first? Is it tuning? Is it mic placement? Is it right. EQ? I mean, where do I begin? And it but, definitely always begins with the actual take itself. Okay, so there's if your drums sound like crap and you didn't mic them properly there's nothing you can do in pro tools to fix it It, you got bad material to deal with so if i can get what got captured by the camera to be good quality then i have so much flexibility and the cameras that i bought have huge dynamic range so they capture all the blacks as black as they can be and they capture all the highlights and the whites as white as they can be so once I finally, if as long as I expose everything properly, once I get it into Premiere, I have all the leeway in the world to do anything I want without ruining the footage. So, uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's, I mean, dude, I'm down the rabbit hole deep. How's your it's, single stroke uh, roll? <laughs> freaking. Uh, I can tell you right now, I could take a single stroke roll lesson from Lars Ulrich and dude, and, uh, and I would learn something. That's where I'm at right now. No offense, Lars. You're a huge influence as a child. All right. Moving on. Oh, my God. You have to take that out. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure Lars isn't listening. If you are, you yeah, know, he, he, they, he probably gets it. <laughs> yeah, he's fine with it. All right. What about you, man? What's going on in your world? Uh, man, I feel like I'm answering this question the same way every time. I don't know. Um <laughs> It's just it's never ending winter. It's like zombie winter. This is the, the oh, man. 2018 zombie winter. But <laughs> I did start recording a record for one of my you know longest friends from when we were kids. We were in our first band together. I actually got him. He didn't he didn't play an instrument or anything. But I started a punk band. I was playing guitar, and we needed a singer. I'm like, dude, you're you're funny and you're outgoing. You're our singer. Okay, so, nice. So yeah, we yeah. kind of grew up together. But he. He recorded a bunch of stuff and sent them over, so I just started tracking drums for him, which is super fun to like be involved. That's awesome, man. Because we haven't played music together since 1996. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty wild. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that is very cool. Uh, lots of chops, or is this just all pocket? No, he's he's really into like 
Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and just real kind of the, the lyrics are everything, but kind of quirky, weird. So one track, every track is a different sound. One track is kind of a big, bombastic Zeppelin thing. The next track has got a real tight kind of, uh, you know, Dylan Highway 61 kind of sound. And okay. the track I just did last night has got a real kind of schmaltzy, jazzy, waltzy, spacey vibe. Schmaltzy, <laughs> jazzy, waltzy. Yeah. That's a great t-shirt. Schmaltzy, you know, jazzy, waltzy. So I'm playing with some brushes and I kind of go into like a little bit of a Vinny kind of a thing. So nice. it's just Now fun. are you doing this out of your house? The yeah. drum parts? Yep, everything at home. Cool. And, and there was nothing on the track, so I just got his, you know, slightly Dude, fleshed out productions. How relaxing is that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's the best part is that he doesn't. He just wants me to do whatever I want, which is so rare. It's like just do whatever right. you want, and then I just send him a take. Like, is this the right idea? He's like, go with it. Just, just finish it. It's good. Oh, <laughs> which awesome. never happens. Awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that's amazing. It's usually like, can you cool. can you play that accent on the on the middle note? And yeah, like, no, you know, no. Like, what I'm are you kidding. talking about? Accent on the middle. Yeah, exactly. Note? <laughs> on measure two hundred eighty-four, <laughs> the middle note. Can you hit the good notes louder? Yeah, you got it. Not a problem. Let me let me turn up the sweetness on my snare. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll bring in some presents on the hi-hat. Oh, that's awesome. All right, well, let's talk about drumming. So this drumming. is one of your favorite topics because you're kind of known to be one of the guys that just loves to chop it up and, and do drum solos. So you want to talk about how to compose a drum solo. I do because I need. I think it's a good idea to just kind of bat around and see what you know where it goes. Because it, for me, the the hardest part about a drum solo, I play them so rarely, is that how do you get started? Where do you begin? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you yeah. do? If given someone says play, okay, what do I do? What does that mean? Right. Well, just like in <clears throat> the literary world, there are a lot of ways to tell a story, but there are ways, and so. Some people will start at the end, and then you're asking the question in the very beginning, what the hell led up to this? And then you lead up to it. Some people do the complete opposite. So in drumming, there are different ways to tell a story, or in soloing for sure. And so I think that for the first thing you have to do is decide what kind of solos do you like? Do you like where the drummer just sits down, starts tapping, and eventually is blazing, and then they just say, yeah, that's... There you go. There's a snapshot of where I'm at in my drumming right now. And I think that there are times where I would love to see Vinny do that. I don't need him to compose a solo for me. It's like, can you just play drums, man? I would yeah. love to see what – I want to be in your practice space with you. And I think, That's what I want And I think Vinny. you bringing up Vinny is a, is a good point, at least for, for those of us of our generation. Like when, when Weckl and Dennis and Vinny were the guys playing all the drum solos, I had this false – image in my mind that a drum solo meant you had to be a virtuoso you had to do something physically and conceptually out of this world in order for to be a drum solo which is what created the anxiety of well i can't do hand foot singles like Vinny, but yet i'm going to do a drum solo and i have to do that in there at some point i'm probably going to eat it (laughs) yeah yeah there there was definitely a feeling of okay well this has to be in there and i have to eventually hit this firework moment and this firework moment yeah which and, I don't. you know before Vinny and all that there was like okay well eventually i have to go into my bottom triplets you know if you're doing 80s stuff yeah and i have to do my right left kick kick at 300 miles an hour for a long time yeah what I, um, that's the thing for me is is the physical side of it became so important like i I honestly don't know that I've heard a rock drum solo that I really enjoyed. It's impressive right. sometimes, but I don't. I just right. 
I don't I don't well, get blown away by a solo where someone just shows me how physically adept they are on the right. instrument. And, but I think that that's why we have so many different types of drum solos is because the obviously you and I are standing in the back of the room with our arms folded like little cool kids and everyone's losing their mind yeah, and I don't get over it. Bobby I Rock. Right? And we're like, it. I don't get it. And it's like, okay, well, they do. So this is clearly, he's doing it right for them. Yeah. And and so I think that figuring out and having a couple drum solo people that you look to is important. I think, you know, what's funny is I reference this so much, but God, it was such a mess. It clearly had such a huge impact on me. That Modern Drummer Festival, the one with... Tony and Virgil and Horacio oh, yeah. also had Bill Stewart. Yeah. And that changed my whole mindset on what a drum solo could be because when Tony played, I was like, okay, I can't do any of that. Then same with when Virgil played, that was what we always thought a drum solo was. Just, yeah, just okay, Virgil. No one physically can do this. Yeah. Uh, I don't have enough years in this on this earth to to be able to do that. And then Bill played, and I thought, uh, wait a minute, I like that way more, and I think I could actually do that, mm-hmm. or I could do what he did with my drumming, and that's I think the connection is, uh, you know, figuring out can you do, can you get the point across that this person got across with what you currently have. Uh, another drum solo that I love. And this will get us going down the idea of conceptualizing a drum solo would be uh, the guy that we talk about, Desenzo, Dave Desenzo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there was there was a bit of a theme there as far as he kept coming back to the left foot cowbell polyrhythmic thing. Uh, mm. He had the crowd clapping in the beginning. So he clearly knew how he was going to start. He must have said to himself, I'm going to have them clap on two and four. Yeah, and I'll go from right, there. Right. And and then I'm going to hit these things because these are my things. These are the things I do. I think that's another thing, too, is are you putting your Vinnies and your Weckleisms in there? Or why not put the Mike Dawsonisms in yeah, there? Exactly. You have them. <laughs> and what's crazy, and this is what Russ Miller nailed into my head in Spain, is the Mike Dawsonisms are things that Vinny and Dave can't do because they would just never naturally do that. So they actually make you stand out because it's just what makes you you mm-hmm. is those things that you dig. Um, Benny does it all the time. Benny always talks about it. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. You're going to hear my you know, my double bass samba ostinato at the end of every solo because I dig it. It's <laughs> yeah, happening. Yeah, until like, you don't like it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, until you personally don't like it. But he always says, I like it. I, yeah. I look forward to that part of my soloing no matter what I've done in my soloing. So I think you have to – Back to your question about starting, you have to decide, is the start of your solo connected to anything else in your solo? Uh, if you know where you're headed, you can start to foreshadow that in the very beginning. So the other thing I like to do in a lot of soloing is make the audience think they're hearing something in a different place than they are. So if I know that, um, let's say the theme of my solo is, that's kind of holding this together, the motif is... Doom, 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 scat, cat. Three, four, doom, 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 scat, cat. Well, if I come out and just go, scat, cat, that's the one to you. You don't know until later when I go, doom, doom, doom. Then you're like, oh crap, that's the one?
So things like that. But but if I know that I'm trying to eventually get to doom, 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 scat, got improvise, improvise, doom, doom, improvise, doom, 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 some scat, boom, boom, boom. If I know that's where I'm headed, then I'm just going to hint at that. You know, I might even play only the second note. So doom, 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 scat, got. But I only go doom, scat, scat, doom, scat, scat. But I'm just singing in my head. And then it all eventually comes together and then the whole crowd just relaxes. So I think I do think it's important to know how to that you're going to start your solo. Um, Yost Nichols' biggest tip for me was more than anything, know your tempo. So he said, tap your foot on the ground and whatever tempo that is, that's your home tempo. That's where you're going to feel the most comfortable and pick your pick there. Yeah. Everything else is going to go bad for you. It seems like the general theme is to just be patient and relaxed and not try to play stuff that you have never done before. <laughs> While a thousand drummers stare at you. Yes. <laughs> Which I think yeah. that's kind of like, you know, if someone says drum solo or you're going to do a drum clinic, you're like, "All right, well now I'm going to have to pull out all this stuff that I had never worked on and sound like right. Vinny or sound like Weckle." It, okay, so and, and where you're headed with things, you you have the option since you haven't established yourself yet as a full time clinician, you have the option to decide who are you as a clinician. I knew right away if I go up there, as soon as I started getting added to drum festivals, I knew if I'm going to go up there and chop it up with Thomas Lang and Todd Zuckerman, things are going to go very bad for me. Yeah. Right. But if I go up there and it's more of a 70-30 thing where 70% of what I'm doing is explaining the drumming and then my solos are really 45 seconds long and it's just the fireworks of what I just taught, that became my clinic. That's And, and I don't feel bad about it. It's like, well, that's what I love. I have more fun teaching than I have playing. Mm-hmm. So why go up there and put myself through hell for 45 minutes when it's like the crowd would have gotten so much more out of that if I would have just embraced who I am as a as a as an educator, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And I kind of also got to the point that I thought, you know what, Annika's coming up next. Watch her, like, yeah, you know, or or Thomas is coming up next. He'll play all the notes you need him to play. Like, you don't need that from me, and then him, and then Virgil, and then whoever else. Um, so. I think figuring out who you are and what you want to get across and what you find to be valuable and how it differentiates between you and the other clinicians that you would be compared to is really important. Um, So but sticking to the solo theme, if you were to play a solo, I think having a tempo in mind is important. Deep breaths are important. And just knowing for me, all I need is an intro and an outro. Everything else Mm. in the middle can just happen. I just got to know how I'm going to end this thing because there's nothing worse than you're kind of blazing chops and you're actually talking to yourself and your chops go on autopilot. And you're like, hmm. should I stop now or should I bring us back to the original theme? Yeah. And I'm going, boom, boom, boom. Scott, uh, that was stupid. Got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. And then I go rev the engine again. And I'm like, I just should. I should probably leave now. That's so, funny. yeah, I, mean, having, I, I know how I'm going to start and I know how I'm going to end for this. You know, just researching. I was trying to figure, you know, what, what's who's out there that I think is doing really cool stuff and analyzing how they're structuring it. And the more I started kind of unpeeling the architecture of some of these guys solos, the more kind of simple it becomes like Jojo. Um, one of his videos, I think it's on Vic Firth. He's just playing beats from nerve tunes. And that's his solo. Like he's just mm-hmm. going from one tune to the next. Uh, but yeah. if, if you didn't know that, you'd be like, "Wow, he's just kind of improvising these really wicked beats." But 
It's, right. it's literally lifted from one of the EPs. It's just the parts from the songs, which was right. cool. And then Keith Carlock's another one that I, I thought just he just plays grooves, but then just kind of evolves them slightly. You know, and then right. 25 minutes later, you're like, damn, that was an amazing drum solo. But he just played grooves. He didn't really go outside you know, of it, that. If you think about it, because I know you've actually worked on your kind of Keith Carlock lick, right? Your, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Right? So that's what, at least coming from, and I've never talked to Keith. I'm looking forward to teaching with him in Ireland, but I've never talked to him. But when I watch him, I recognize that from my playing and go, oh, that's his reset. That's mm-hmm. actually not a chop for him. That's a mindless chop that allows him to go, where do I want to go next? And while he's blazing that lick that's blowing everybody's mind, he's free to think, like, I think I'll bring the tempo down. We haven't done anything down lately. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, I mean, I just know those chops. I have what I call my get-out-of-jail-free chops. And if I'm in trouble, I just go to these chops that it's like, okay, this is super impressive to a drummer but I've done this so many millions of times, it's taking zero mental power. So it's actually a vacation. And now I'm going to, while this is on autopilot, I'm going to think like, man, this has been really busy. Let me go to, let him breathe for a second. You know? Yeah. And uh, that's, I, th- I think that's probably the biggest lesson I got from Benny. Uh, we did, his very first camp in America was here at the Mike Sussman's facility. And, it wasn't a co-camp. It was his camp. I just was kind of here opening the door, closing the door, locking the oh, place yeah. up. But I, I, I definitely was here through the whole thing because uh, we were just becoming friends, and I was a huge fan of him. Anyway, so one of the things I really got out of watching him play and, and talking to him every night was that he just pays attention to what he's been playing. So he knows, like, it's been really busy. I'm going to bring it down. Or it's been really loud. Let me get quiet. And he, I would say that Benny is the king of contrast. There's never just this like monotone thing happening in Benny's soloing. So there's so much contrast. And it's because he's he's cognizant of that as it's happening. Did I use that word right? Cognizant. cognizant? <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest word I've used today, and I'm pretty sure I used it incorrectly. Now, he's what conscious? Do you, what do you feel about tempo shifts? Because I feel like... That's another that spot is, where you can sound really God, amateur or you can yes. be really cool. But it's... it's but I've seen Man. both. I've seen like really awesome souls where they just shift to another tempo with no sense of reasoning, but it's just right. a really nice contrast. <clears throat> Whereas JP Bouvet is the king of that man. Who? He just JP Bouvet. Okay. Um, but he, is he, he does, does that, he foreshadow it or does he just go to a different nope. tempo? Yeah. Nope. He just, and, and that's, I think soloing. <laughs> okay. I had something totally different in my mind that involved boogie nights, but um, it, <laughs> what? It, yeah, I was just thinking. There's just moments in life where no matter what the outcome is, as long as you do it with a hundred percent confidence, everyone buys in. I have no idea where I was going with that, but it's just kind of like just confidence is the key. And and when JP makes the shift from blazing to and and you and I are not talking about halftime and cut time. We're talking about literally just oh, I just dropped thirty BPM because I did. Yeah, like a totally um, different scene. It's like you just changed the right. channel to something else yep and and when he does it he does it with so much confidence and he doesn't look up for your approval as an audience everyone buys in brian blade does it um you know and it's just one of those things and obviously keith does it as good as anyone in the world and um, you know and so, someone who i i have to admit i'm not a huge fan of or have been influenced by but most drummers are is neil peart and one in the way he structures his solos it's it's like he just goes from here's 
one solo and now I'm going to hit a gong and now I'm going to play something completely different and now I'm going to hit another gong and now I'm going to play something completely. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's kind of brilliant in this in its it, simplicity. It works, uh, but I think – and no, I've never actually done – I've never done a tempo change that wasn't foreshadowed and related – metrically to what was playing so i've done lots of things where i was foreshadowing every third 16th note that eventually became my new quarter note and now we're in a much faster pulse um i was playing i was accentuating every fourth eighth note triplet and that became our new slower tempo mm-hmm. so i've done that but i've never done the thing where i'm just kind of ripping and then i go you know what how about slower than this Flatadoom, and that's usually what happens it's flatadoom and i'm like dude did you just decide to do that but when people do it with confidence it totally works uh and then once again the uh, dave desenzo is a version of him foreshadowing it he's hitting every third 16th note on his left foot cowbell and then that becomes his new quarter note or eighth note whatever he decides so which that takes way much more practice than just saying i'm going to play samba (laughs) for a while and then i'm going to play slow funk and then i'm going to play double bass (laughs) right but those can be just as effective though those are things where, as an audience member, you have to think of what somebody wants out of you, meaning what do they like in your drumming. And I think that that's important is hitting the scenes that people are fans of. So let's uh, name a drummer, any drummer in the world that you think I would know. Like no personally? No, uh, or just know the drumming of. Weckle. Okay, so Dave Weckle. I expect to hear some non-backbeat-driven bongo stuff. Some little mm. percussive, tink, 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 and no backbeat. Then I expect to hear, at some point, I want him to go into a swing thing because he's so brilliant in flowing in triplets. It's not jazz, but it's not fusion. It's just this thing. It's the Weckl triplet thing. And then at some point, I expect him to go into overdrive. And th- those are the three scenes I know. I'm, I know he's going to start off with some like, you know, traditional grip, delicate rolls across the cymbals, and hitting some bongos. And then like, <laughs> and you're laughing because you can see it in your head, right? The bongos that that just defines like which era of Weckl was more right. influential for you. Totally, totally. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there will be some cowbell thing, right? Yeah. But it's like, I think but it's not a, a defined thing. groove. Yeah. But it's not a defined, like it's not a songo loop. It's just songo ish. Yeah. Right. And so, but I think what he's doing in there is he's saying like, I'm, if you're a fan of me, you'll probably like this stuff. So I think that's what any good solo is, is giving yourself the moment to express yourself and say, this is the stuff out of all the drumming that's out there in the world. This is the stuff that I really enjoy doing when no one's watching me. Uh, Matt, JP, and myself, when we did the Common Thread Tour, I think I've spoke about this uh, in the podcast in the past, but we always rated ourselves after the show was over. We'd get in the car and drive to the next city, and we always rated ourselves on how close what we played was to what we play at home when no one's watching. Mm-hmm. And because I'll tell you right now, Matt does not go home and say, "Hey, babe, I'm going to go downstairs and practice for a bit," and then he plays periphery tunes by himself. Right, that is right. not what how Matt plays. <laughs> He might do it for the crowd, but that's not what he does. And so we would judge ourselves and, you know, a good night was like, yeah, that was like an eight. That was damn close to how I play when no one's around and it's just midnight and I'm at the studio just playing drums because I love the drum set. Um, And 
the people that you and I probably look up to the most are the ones that give us that glimpse. When I when I see Brian Blade play a solo, I feel like I'm kind of watching Brian Blade. Yeah, I don't feel true, like I, yeah. I don't feel like he's doing it for me. It's like, yep. oh god, he's in this man. And <laughs> same with Keith. I definitely think that you take Keith's modern drummer solo and take six months after that happened or his modern drummer performance, and he's probably in a basement playing. You know, it's like, oh, it's Keith. That's Keith being Keith. And I think that that's the key to any solo. Have a good beginning, have an ending, but give them a glimpse of who you are and be okay with the fact that, like, hey, a drum solo is a snapshot of where you are currently in your drum progress that's what it is it's a collection of everything you've worked on and um and and be okay with leaving some stuff out you're not going to fit your entire drum life into four or five minutes you know yeah yeah so different way of thinking of it yeah because i always think last question for you oh go ahead well i i came up more with the the soloing and the jazz mentality where it's way more thematic and and compositional and that's for me if if i don't do that every single day those chops kind of slip away like how to spur the moment improvise new ideas like the whole the whole premise is never play anything you've done before if that's kind of your premise right those are chops you got to have those chops together yeah yeah Uh, man that's a that's a that's a tough thing and to do that in front of a crowd and have it never go poorly for you that's that's scary stuff exactly Uh, so what do you think is a good length of a drum solo Mm, that's a good question because I've seen I mean I've been riveted for 45 minutes by Jack Dijonet, uh, but that's probably pushing the extremes um, right. and I've also been bored to tears in 30 seconds so I mean <laughs> and we will not mention that yeah, person I would say if it's a well constructed solo with a lot of development not just a chops fest I can go 10 minutes before I start thinking okay enough already Okay. Yeah, yeah. More than I'm, that, I think I'm man. there. I think f- five. I'm kind of cheating the audience, and I think ten. I've shown them everything I have to show. Um, so I'm kind of in that. I usually shoot for a six to seven minute solo if I'm going to do one of those. Uh, I have the UK drum show coming up, and now it was uh, originally myself, Benny, JoJo, and Richard Spaven, and now a bunch. Of, uh, Stanton Moore got added to it. Um, somebody else. There's quite a few people. So, and I know the day that I'm on, and I know the lineup, and I I've already made the decision. I won't be playing a solo because there's just not enough time. I want to play tracks and explain the choices in those tracks because mm-hmm. I finally have a band to play to, yeah, right. and we have songs that nobody's ever heard that we're recording now. So I've I kind of made the decision. Like I don't think you need a seven minute drum solo from me. I can. I, I can give you more more value if I don't do that. That seven minutes can be the the time that I walk to the front of the stage with a practice pad and right. really teach you something that matters to me that might change how you view everything about drums on the way home. If I can do that with those seven minutes, I'm totally happy doing that. Well, to be continued, I think this is a good conversation because it's. I think the drum solo is something that almost all of us fear because it's right. so rare unless you're just that's you're just gifted on like you can just go out and perform and you're not afraid of failure but right it's such a rare thing well what do you think about what do you think about in the future 
having like one week is like my week and we drop a four minute drum solo into the into podcast. the show all right let's do yep. it and then the next week is your week and, and it's a four minute drum solo into the show i'm cool with that because yeah. if we do it in the same episode then people compare us and then all of a sudden the competition starts and then you and i start stop being friends and I don't, i'm not having that i'm not doing gospel chops 2018 with you uh, i'll just program you a bunch of 64th notes <laughs> And <laughs> all right, let's talk about our featured artist because this is somebody that holy hell, this cat had an influence on you and me and everyone in our age group. Um, Tim Alexander, you probably know him from his band Primus, but Tim Alexander for me was Neil Peart for everyone else. And what I mean by that is, yeah. I was just a little too young to be a part of the Rush thing. I kind of missed it, and everyone would tell me about it, but I just didn't get it. And then Tim came out and had a very similar drum set to Neil, at least for the time being. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's my Neil Peart. That is who I'm going to obsess over, and I'm going to buy his gear because he plays it. And I have to get a China because it's on Jerry was a race car yeah. driver. And yeah. Right, and I have to get a double bass pedal, which I couldn't afford, so I learned all my little <laughs> single-footed chops because of Tim Alexander. So, I mean, his his influence is just so massive, but it was really cool because I couldn't find anything, and I still can't. I go, I take Tim Alexander, I go backwards, Neil Peart, I go to all the Fusion Cats, I go to all the you know Chick Corea stuff, Return to Forever, I go to. Uh, even Billy Cobham and I don't hear a lot of Tim Alexander in the past. Yeah, you know, yeah, not really. He's like a mix of all that: uh, Carl Palmer, Bill Bruford, Neil Peart. But you know, I, I I hear some Stuart Copeland tuning in there. Yeah, Stuart Copeland. Yeah, you know, like clean hi hat stuff. Uh, I I would say, and even though um, I think this came after him, it's so such a weird comparison. But I heard I hear like a lot of if somebody said compare someone to Tim Alexander, I would compare Carter Beaufort to him. Huh. Clean rolls, yeah. high pitched rack tom, you know, eights and tens, um, very, very sub sub kick, almost sampled, but it has the click and attack to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that Tim Alexander was just somebody that just changed the game. I mean, were you in early on Primus? Uh, I guess it was the second full length, Sail in the Seas of Cheese. I got that. Mm-hmm. That was you know back in the day when I would just go to a record store and buy a cassette of a band that I'd heard of and have no idea what they sound yeah. like. I just heard about this band Primus, and they were kind of funky. I'm like, all right, well, I love James Brown. Let me go buy a Primus <laughs> tape. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, I got yeah, Sail in the Seas of Cheese, and I remember put. I was actually on my one of my first dates as a like a 12 oh or 13 gosh. year old. I remember putting it on and like, what in the world did I just buy? What is this yeah, music? This it was guy's so voice. weird. It's <laughs> so yep. weird. But it, it it took it took maybe two or three listens of that tape to be like, okay, now I I have to listen to this every day. They became my favorite band, and I for, I definitely like you. I forget how much his drumming it kind of set the the bar. Like it shaped me and like. Chad Smith, I could kind of understand right away. Dave Grohl, I could understand right away. I could kind of do what they do, not with the authority or the the confidence, but I could do what right. they do, and it felt good to play to those records. But when I put the Primus tape on, I'm like, I can't do half of what this guy's doing. So it kind yeah. of set well, that level of like, okay, I got to go there. Whatever he's doing, I've got to figure out how he's doing that. I would say Tim 
caused so many drummers to come together because we had to go to each other's house. Whoever had the tape would go <laughs> to somebody's house and then we would sit there and three of us would try to figure out like, okay, what time signature is this even in? And, yeah, right. Um, I was mentioning to you earlier, like I learned to play in five because of Here Come the Bastards. And that yep. was like, oh, okay, because I play my groove. Don't, don't. Doom, 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 doom. And I'm like, oh, now my snare's on his kick. Something went wrong. <laughs> right. And then like, oh, I got to figure this out. And we would just sit there and figure it out. And it was it was so much fun to learn this stuff. And then you know, it's like, wait, they're a trio. How do they sound so big? I mean, it, it yeah. was it was yeah. mind blowing. But I definitely think that. Tim is the one that changed so much of the drum industry. I mean, every every era has somebody that causes young drummers or newer drummers to run out and buy stuff. And Tim yeah, invigorated the entire industry. Yeah, he was probably, yeah, exactly. Because Grohl, it was just a four-piece kit. Chad Smith, it was a four- or five-piece kit. General, uh, right. who else was big. Uh, you know, the Pearl Jam guy. Uh, the Pearl Jam guys Dave. definitely splashes and China's became a thing. Right. But I think, sure. but with Tim, it was like, oh, I need an ice bell. I need a double pedal. I need a China. Oh, man. I need two Absolutely. <laughs> right. I need well, yeah, two and then, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, I have band practice tomorrow. I need to bring a new sound rather than a new drum. Yeah. I want to bring a sound that they go, what is that? And it's like, oh, these are called ribbon crashers. Right. And, right. Or whatever it was, you know. Um, and I remember that he was a big part of that. And uh, I did a, a clinic with him in Seattle along with uh, Thomas Lang and a few others and uh, or a festival. And just getting to shake his hand and, and be like, hey, man, like, I'm sure you hear this every single day, but I can't not say it like you. You are just such a huge inspiration to me. And then uh, we were all on stage together and they say, and Tim Alexander. And then he plays and he's like three feet away from me. And I'm sitting on my kit and I'm just going like, oh, let me jump in with you. Bro. <laughs> like, oh, I know that one. I know that groove. And he, and he still I mean, his touch is still there. Like that was another thing. You talked so much about it with Steve Jordan, but he he just had a Tama kit. It wasn't anything special. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he played, it was like. That sounds like Tim Alexander, and it wouldn't have sounded like that if I played it or if T. Lang played it or whoever. But when he played it, he had that touch, man. So, were you telling me? So Primus is back together. Are they as the original trio? Yeah, as far as I know, they're they're playing some shows. I don't know. Awesome. I could be completely wrong, but I know they were doing like a tour last year, and we caught up with them for a short story in the April issue. Um, he kind of talked about everything about coming back into the band, all the health things he had to deal with, um, auditioning. And is for, he healthy now? Yeah, apparently, apparently. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. He's into it. So, uh, did you know he was on? He was the first drummer in a perfect circle. That's something I didn't. I had forgotten before Josh. Oh, I, right, right, right. I think I probably knew that, but I mean, when the when the first album came out, that was Josh Freeze, right? Well, Tim's on the opening song. He's on the opening cut, The Hollow, which is he really? doesn't sound like Tim Alexander at all. It sounds like Josh Freese, which I think is super cool. You hear that wow. song, you're like, yeah, the Josh sounds great, and it's Tim. <laughs> Wow. 
Wow, I did. I, I maybe I didn't know that. That doesn't yeah. sound familiar. That's really cool, man. It's pretty um, neat. I, and he, I think that. he was involved in the the, the Pusifer project when that first came around. So that's kind of the stuff he did in that interim Blue Man Group. He was in Blue Man Group for a while. Sounds about right. <laughs> I, I could totally see that. <laughs> um, Doesn't even neat. have to shave his head. He's set. Yeah. So He's what, all good to go. Just. Let's go through our favorite Primus okay. drum parts. What do you got? Number one. Oh, God. Uh, well, okay. Number one for me has to be uh, Jerry Was a Race Car Driver just because that was the first song that caused me to go, okay, I have to learn how to go. Yeah, those fast triplets. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Dang, 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 dang. <laughs> Was, so that was the one – I would say Jerry was a race car driver is the one that my friends showed to me and said, have you heard this? I said, no, I've never even heard of this band. And then I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that this, was the sound. I, you showed me one song and I have a new favorite band. Yeah. I think what about you? That was, that was one of the first ones. They played – I've been trying to find this on YouTube. So if anyone has a link to this, they played MTV Spring Break 91, 92 maybe. And they did like a live out, outdoor set. And I'd never heard them before. And I, and they okay. did and the first song I think they did was Jerry was a race car driver, and 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 Tim was playing a backline kit. He had tape over the logo so you couldn't tell what it was. Right. But yeah. I heard that was like, what is he doing with his feet? I've got to figure that out. It wasn't yeah. like I'd heard Metallica double bass, but right. for me this, this was, was something like, different. Yeah, I've never heard that, and I immediately saved up all my, you know, my lawn <laughs> mowing <laughs> money and got a really cheap double pedal that never worked right. Nice. Um, but I think for me, the one that I always aspired to be able to play was the intro to John the Fisherman off of Frizzle Fry. Because mm, yes. like there's like three bass drum 16ths in a row that's just fast enough to make it a strain. You know, I got to say, too, what, talking about his drum parts, is that his tuning and Les's bass tone, they went so hand in hand that we as young drummers couldn't figure out what was bass and what was drums. Um, yes, yeah, I remember yeah. Modern Drummer put out a transcription of My Name is Mud, and I was like, no, it's not doom, doom, get, doom, doom, get. It's and then I watched and I was like, oh, no. It's not at all. That's Tim's doing almost nothing. Yeah, it's the bass. And then I'm like, you know, or I, I see a live show of them, and I'm like, oh, Les is doing that. Yeah. Oh, well, I learned it on my foot. <laughs> at least I got something out of it. So, uh, That's funny. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, with, the, with his drum parts, he was as important to the band as anyone else. I mean, those, those drum parts just were just incredible and, and still are. I, when I listen to to what he did there i think if those songs were recorded today he'd he would probably have written the same stuff because they were just so complimentary to the drums do you have another one that sticks out for you well the intro to tommy the cat is another one that every every drummer had to figure out um yep my name is mud is one that like all my non-drummer friends wanted to be able to play 
they were like, show me right. how to play My Name Is Boy, because at the end he does do the double kick thing. I'm like, he does it, right? Yeah, like, all right, yep. here's... That, so that became just the thing, that every guitarist and just, you know, show me My Name Is Mud, that was the thing. Yep. Is one of my favorite intros, I think, and it's real simple. It's kind of like the uh, Two Princes Spin Doctors intro. They're really not right. that difficult, but as soon as you hear the first note, you're like, "That's Tommy the Cat." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just the tuning and the way they recorded drums at the time, and just pushed them so far forward in the mix. It was such a cool thing. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, my name is Mud. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is it eighth notes on his gong drum or floor tom, and then the two two triplets with the foot? Is it? I'm pretty sure like that's right it. Right kick kick, yep. right? I think that's what it is. Yeah, pretty sure. Because I, I remember when I learned it the first time, I learned it as right left kick. Bottom triplets. And I was like, this is so easy. And then I saw him do it, and only his right his right hand was playing eighth notes. And I was like, oh, crap. Now i got to practice my buzz drum. I don't want to practice my buzz drum. I'm very tired. So, like, ah, man, he got me again. Um, but he had like one of those big gong bass drums on its side. Yeah, and the gong playing. drum. Yeah, I never had a gong drum, but I wanted one. <laughs> yeah, well, only because we couldn't afford them. <laughs> and no right? one I mean, sold them. We didn't like, want it. Where the hell yeah, you exactly. get a gong drum? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the thing where you go to uh, you go to your music store and you tell the drum shop guy, oh, yeah, I want to get a twenty two inch gong drum. And he goes, okay. And he whips out this huge KHS catalog and flops it on the counter. <laughs> and he's flipping. He's like, uh, that'll be $1,500. Yeah. I'm like, wait, my whole drum set was $400. How was that one drum? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'll figure it out. I'll just get another floor tom. Maybe at some point the the school will just forget that I borrowed one of their drum sets. And I just keep that and <laughs> take off the one of the heads. All right. Let's get into some gear review. Dude, this is no... Uh, this is not your mama's snare drum or somebody's set of hi-hats. This is the craziest thing ever. Um, <laughs> this is the Doc Sweeney Blue Tiger drum set. Uh, wow. Matching bass drum head. <laughs> Watch out now. Yeah, the custom art. I mean, that kind of took the visual over top, over the top. I think if it just had a white head or a black head, it would just look like a real stunning kind of yeah. sophisticated, not over, not over the top looking kit. Because um, it's an ash, it has an ash. Actually, is it all ash? I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's steam bent ash. So you got that nice uh, grain pattern of the ash on the outside uh, and the inside. And the inside. Yep, gorgeous. Um, and I don't know who's making steam bent kits. There's not a lot of them anymore. So Craviato, full full drum sets. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, Doc Sweeney. Doc Sweeney. Who else? Who else is on steam bent kits? Is there I anyone don't else? Know. I mean, it's it's such a I guess it's such a difficult thing to bend twenty two inch bass drum shells, right? Uh, but these are amazing. They were they had, they put out in my little studio. They just put out way too much sound for my <laughs> for my room <laughs> to handle. Like foam was falling off the walls, and and it wasn't that they were loud. It was just like so much sound. It was just vibrating stuff. <laughs> I could see your neighbors being like, hey, we usually don't complain, but what is going on over there? Yeah, I mean, it was, like, it was sorry, like driving a freaking Mack truck in my house. 
Okay, so what? Uh, break down the kit for me. What did you have size wise? So this this is the Blue Tiger drum set with steam bent ash shells. It was a sixteen by twenty two inch bass drum, which played even bigger than that. A nine by thirteen and sixteen by sixteen inch toms, and a matching wow. six and a half by fourteen snare. Wow. Yeah, they were they were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they had the S hoops on them, which was kind of cool. I hadn't played a kit with S hoops on them before. The, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! He sent flat. me a snare with with one of those where they kind of curve in on themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. they're kind of flat. Yep. So they're kind of like a hybrid, um, like the old Slinger Run style roll in versus the diecast. Yeah. It's you know that if like if you're one of those drummers, <laughs> well, if if you can afford these drums, you're probably doing okay with sticks. But if you want to save some sticks, these hoops will do it for you. But yeah, yeah, um, they don't chop they're them just up. Buttery. <laughs> no, they are buttery. <laughs> but you know what? Who knows? Uh, but I, I, I have them on one of the snares that he sent. It's, they're awesome. Um, okay. So you have all that. Um, and then, wow, 13, 16. These are big kid drums. Yeah, they were big drums. They were they were very, very rich sounding, but just a lot of sound. I think they would be ideal for live playing. They recorded Beautiful too. We'll drop in the audio for that. But <clears throat> it really translated in the room. Like, I think it would. this would compete with anything. Not that they were loud. Really? It was just big big sounding right awesome well actually let's give them a listen and we'll talk a little bit more about them Super pure. Yeah, exactly. I think the S hoops help with that. They kind of focus it without, they kind of make them a little bit more focused without choking off the shell. Wow. Those uh, those sound fantastic through all the tuning ranges. They're just super pure. Yeah. Um, before we talk about the sound, I'm just now seeing one of the shots with uh, an overhead angle. Yeah. Awesome, awesome choice on the bass drum hoops. Like they're it's they're still ash. They look like it, but they're darker stained. Yeah, it's like a darker blue. Yep. Man, that just looks super classy. Super yep. classy gives the drum just a little bit more dimension. Um, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, they just from what I can tell, you didn't have any gels on, did you? No, uh, they had. I think they had yeah coated response to Aquarian heads. Yeah. So the- and you had a focus uh, or maybe a. Yeah, Focus X or something on the snare. But either way, whatever you had, I mean, it, they just sound super pure. Yep. Pure. There's no weird overtones. Pure, but not like, I mean, Ash, I, I kind of think of as having a kind of a punchier, more focused sound, but they didn't, yeah. have, but they, I didn't feel like you were cutting off the ends, you know? It was still like this right. never-ending sound. It just kept getting wider and wider, but really pure. Wow. Like, I think of like a birch drum having, it's almost like a vignette you know, like the outside is just gone. It's just this focused right. laser yeah, yeah, beam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, <laughs> great analogy. Yeah, but this it just kind of keeps going. It keeps expanding, nice and wide. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just I think it's really cool how they just stayed through all the tuning ranges. They never 
you never got to a tuning range when it's like, okay, well, that's what that drum set can't do. I mean, obviously, you never cranked them up, but it's a 13, 16. You're not going to crank it up anyways. Um, yeah, and the bass drum, solid head, no muffling inside. So, you know, that has a certain amount of, of limitations just for me to, you know, get a microphone on it. Right, uh, sure. And it had a two-ply super kick, too. So, it, you know, pre-muffled head a little bit. Right. Actually, very much. The Super Kick 2 is a two-ply head, right, with a muffling yeah, ring? Yeah, two-ply head with a muffle ring, so that's... Yeah, uh, pretty well muffled already, but not being able to get the microphone inside kind of limited some of the attack, but mm-hmm. it's still there. I could hear it. And you had the Rack Tom on a snare stand? On a snare stand with the little booty shaker uh, isolation <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so buddy. It, didn't, it didn't affect the resonance at all. No, it sounded it sounded fantastic. Uh, definitely, if you guys haven't checked out Doc Sweeney, just check out what he's got because the dude is a absolute stud when it comes to wood drums. He makes some of the most beautiful drums in the world. And uh, I've t- his name is Steve, and we've talked a few times on the phone. I have two of his snares here, and they're both incredible. And I I can't wait for our camps because I want our students to experience. Okay, here's my maple plied drum. Mm-hmm. Let's play that. Get used to it. Now let's throw on a steam bent shell. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that you could have an entire drum set that doesn't have a ton of layers of glue between all the plies. It's. I mean, you're getting the most pure sound possible. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things. Like I, I'm having a hard time describing what it is. It's just something you feel. You just you can just oh, totally. tell there's something there. I don't know if there's any words yeah. that will describe a ply shell versus a solid shell, but they're very different. <laughs> they are, and and I don't think they're relatable either to stave shells. Um, when I play yeah. a stave snare, I can feel that that's different, but it's not like oh yeah, stave and pl- and solid are the same these steam bent shells are incredible and like you said i i agree when as soon as i got the drum on my kit i was like wow this is i i wanted to immediately say this is so much louder mm. but it's just more yeah, more just of everything more. <laughs> um so it's it's so funny that i have all this access to this gear that if i was if it was 15 years ago and i was still touring mike johnston beating the crap out of everything uh, I would. There's so much stuff I would love. It's like, yeah. yeah. Like if, if Gretch calls me and says, "Hey, uh, do you want us to send you out the 14 by 19 <laughs> bell brass floor tom snare?" It's like, no, no, I don't. But at the time, maybe I would have. <laughs> now the the question is, which of those dimensions is the drum head? <laughs> right, right. It's a it's a 19 inch drum head by 14 inches deep. Yeah. Oh, by the way, <laughs> speaking of my touring days, uh, I think we're about to blow up. I think Simon Says is back on top again because what they just put. Yeah, Beer Fest just hit Netflix, and we're in there for like two minutes. It's like oh, they, they wow. walk into Beer Fest in uh, in Germany or wherever it is, and right when they bust through the doors, Simon Says blazing for like two straight minutes. I've had so many people text me. They're like, dude. Were you in the movie Beer Fest? Like, <laughs> Beer like, Fest. I remember getting a check from my uh, publishing company when that movie came out, and I called my singer, who I hadn't talked to in like a decade, and I'm like, why are we getting a check for playing a Beer Fest? Do we play Oktoberfest or something? I don't know. And he's like, dude, I think it's a movie. I'm like, what? We went and saw it. It was so bad, we left right after the scene that we were in, oh, and that man. was it. So, so but reunion I, tours? I have a feeling... <laughs> imminent? Yeah. I think, well, there's just... God, there's so many letters that we get in the mail about it. People... Because our fans still write letters, so <laughs> they don't email us. They're all 90. That's all good. 
No, no reunion tours, but oh, it is funny lovely. to get emails. So uh, if you want to see the worst movie in the world, do that. If you want to hear one of the best drum sets in the world, check out Doc Sweeney drums. Uh, Blue Tiger drum set with, uh, with a bass drum head that I could have used at the time. Yeah, for sure. I would have crushed with that thing. The question is, uh, where would it, you put the port in that head? Ooh, yeah, it's going to look like a mole yeah. on the tiger's face. Uh, I guess you just don't. Mark. You got to get an internal mic for that one. Yeah, you, yeah, you probably have to. Either that or you just have to go straight in the middle. I don't know. No, you can't mess with that. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some Q&A. This, right. this episode's gone off the rails. <laughs> uh, this is from Dominic. Um, he says, my buddy has a Gretsch cymbal stand. Do you guys have info on when Gretsch made and stopped making hardware? Is his stand worth anything? And Gretsch had new hardware at NAMM this year. So they have, they just this year are relaunching hardware. When did so they stop you, selling it in the past? I have no idea. But yeah, I never. Well, there there definitely was not Gretsch hardware for a long time because their partnership with uh, Gibraltar has been their hardware. Yeah, for, you know, for that's a long always time. been the same company. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So I I honestly didn't know they were releasing hardware. Um, I did not go to Nam this year. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, nice. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I have a Gretsch. I have an old '60s Gretsch pedal. So. Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I, and, and for my experience, old hardware is not really collectible. I think it's cool if you've got it, but I don't know that anyone's going to be like, "Oh, I got to get that Gretsch symbol stand." Right. Um, but yeah, they got new stuff, and it kind of looks like the old stuff. So you might want to check it out. It's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, I can't find it yet. I'm still just seeing everything is kind of Gibraltar, but I look forward to checking it out. Well, they definitely had it in them. <laughs> well, I guess we it'll come that. out sometime. <laughs> Next. <laughs> All right. Next one's from Misha. Uh, what What is your head combination for a Birch 12-inch rack tom and a 14-inch floor tom, both r- batter and resonant, and they're going to be close mic'd? It just depends on the style of the music for me. Um, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the classic recording custom sound was a pinstripe over an ambassador, and that's a Birch show. So if Both you're clear. Fan, yeah, yeah, if you're a fan of that '80s uh, Steve Gadd sound, right? I don't know. Yeah, I, I just love the fact that he's he's just about to record his first album, and his biggest influence is is Brian Blade, and he's like, "Yeah, I got these clear pinstripes. It's gonna be awesome." <laughs> Mike Dawson told me to do it. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, Misha, we're just missing the part of what kind of music are you going to be playing with this? Because that your 12 and 14 birch shell can kind of do anything. It just depends on what yeah. you're using. I mean, so. those drums might actually be some of the most uh, affected by drum head choice in general. So yeah. you want a jazzy open go. sound, single ply coated. If you want a dense kind of thick sound, then emperors or pinstripes. There you go. Pinstripes, yeah. All of them. They'll all sound good. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Just order a tune ball with it. You'll be fine. Uh, okay, this is from Patrick. Um, could you guys talk a bit about what kind of hand stretches you do to warm up before you play? Mm. I almost do none because I just start on a pad very low key and chill and then I just stay on it for like 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so I probably do maybe a few hand stretches like a, a, I would say a preacher stretch is my number one stretch. Put my hands together like I'm praying and then the elbows come away from my body and it just stretches out the forearms really well. And then I walk that all the way through the fingers and then palms back together and then I'm done. Um, yeah. I might do that like right before I walk on stage. But honestly, because I don't really have any physical ailments 
in my hands or my arms, I just, uh, you know, I don't really do much. What about you? I just started, you know, since I started and actually part of his question, I didn't, I didn't answer was the single stroke exercise that I've been working on. It's actually in Bill Bachman's book, stick technique. It's the first full exercise in the single stroke world chapter. So you can check that out. But when I started working on that exercise and I realized some days I could play better than others and it's like, all right, what, what's going on? And, and I felt like my hands were stiff. So I did, I have started mm. stretching daily and I found that in between each repetition of that exercise, if I stretch, I get a few extra BPM out of the next repetition. Nice. Which is interesting. Nice. So I, what do I do? I, you know, I pull the fingers back towards me with right. one hand. I pull the fingers down towards the floor, both hands. I do the preacher uh, stretch that you were talking about. I also turn it upside down on what you would call that, the diver stretch. Oh, well, the diver stretch. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then I do the opposite where I'm pressing the outside of my palms together. I wish you guys could see us. <laughs> Both of us are just like doing just some like lame drummer yoga crap. Like yep. downward drummer. Yeah, downward uh. drummer. Yeah, the diving drummer. <laughs> and then one thing that um, is actually really effective is I, sh- I grab sticks and shake my hand. Always. Shake my wrist. Totally. It's very effective. You know, the other thing you can do that's really good is hold those two sticks and you just wring the towel as fast as you can. Oh, I've never done that. Um, oh, yeah, man. That'll, that'll warm me up. Uh, the... Clapping, but without ever separating your palms. Yeah. Have you ever done that? No, I, that that's getting a little goofy. I don't want to look like a harp seal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jojo. Mike just poo pooed on your exercise. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyways, I yeah, I don't really stretch unless I need to. I will say this: when I get off of a, a long flight, if I'm flying intercontinental and I intercontinental if i'm flying across the world and i land somewhere and i've had to eat their weird vegan meal that's just made of salt and crap Mm. then yes i will probably at that point do some stretching next all right that's it we're done (laughs) why do i get so mad about stretching (laughs) that was three unless there's one more that we could do nope that was it so we've we've got a bazillion more questions i apologize for being delayed on some of them but we'll probably do an all question show very soon but yeah. you keep sending them right. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. I th- we have, have several audio questions. If we can get a couple more, then we'll do a whole segment of audio questions. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. It's time for Picks of the Week. All Mr. Right. Dawson, what is your Pick of the My Week? My Pick of the Week will we'll definitely be coming back to this at a later date when the review comes out. But I got my hands on a pair of Bopworks sticks, which mm. is a small company that they originally came out like replicating the old jazz sticks from like the early 20th century and mid 20th century very thin very light um those are great but they just put out a pair that's kind of more contemporary it's a 16 and a quarter inch long stick it's 0.59 inches wide and it's called the rhythm in grooves so it feels kind of like a like a big 5a or something but the Mm. taper is a little bit more extreme so it plays very fast and very light oh yeah I'm looking at it right now. That thing must just fly off the cymbals. Flies. It just feels it feels really nice, and it, and it gets recording wise. It gave me a really nice cymbal sound while still having like the big rim shot sound as well. So those nice. have kind of become my favorite sticks at the moment. It's the really? wow. rhythm and grooves, um, and the other ones are cool too. There's a Memphis R&B that's also more of a like a contemporary size. But if you want to check out some of the really lightweight stuff look at like the Birdland or something like that it's it's i'm assuming these are hickory yep yep they're all hickory cool 
Um, the Art, yeah, the Art awesome. Blakey signature brushes. stick is great. But yeah, the brushes, that was originally going to be my pick of the week. Again, we'll talk about all this stuff when we do the full okay, review. Cool. But the Rhythm and Grooves was a pair that I'm like, wow, I could, I could, barring like modern rock or anything super aggressive, I could use these on anything. Very cool. Yeah, and, and they've got a great website. Check out bopworks.net. Uh, you can see everything there. You can see their prices there. Uh, it looks like you can buy direct from them because yep. um, these are doesn't look like it's through bucks. Shopify or anything. Yep. Yeah, fantastic, awesome. My pick of the week is something uh, similar as far as just a cool little drum product. And if you guys haven't checked out Cherry Hill Drums, it's a custom drum builder. Um, and I believe he's actually here in California, uh, in Southern California. So check out Cherry Hill Drums. Uh, the Instagram handle is at Cherry Hill Drums. And I've been a fan of his stuff for a long time. His, his snare drums are unbelievable. And, um, and I've just always liked his stuff. And I reached out to him and said, look, I'm looking for a small heirloom piece. He makes amazing hi-hat clutches that will just blow your mind. Um, it makes lots of little things. And I said, I'm looking for an heirloom piece, something that I'll have with me forever. And uh, so he made me this antique bronze drum key that I am obsessed with. And if anyone comes to my camp and tries to put it in their pocket, <laughs> there will be a moment that is awkward for all of us as I tackle you. Because this is the kind of thing, like, I'm going to, if I'm going to hand this down to Jack at some point when he has a litter of puppies <laughs> and I'm going to say give this to your son like this is the this drum key will never make it into my back pocket to be lost because it'll never leave my snare drum it will always be I'm obsessed hmm. with this thing you might is okay it, okay all right so let's do this can can you and I have a wager today is March 22nd 2018 okay all right you set the date that you think I'll lose this by. Well, you've already got your new kit, so it won't be in that. When does your first right. camp? Um, okay, so first camp is in is at the end of April, so about a month. Okay. So I, do you think I can make it through camp season? So October 1st. If, if you're going to agree to leave it on your snare drum and not put it in a safe box somewhere. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree that it's out. It'll be in every video that I make. You will see that thing on my snare. So, so, um, can I get you to sign on for a bet that, and we'll let the listeners choose our punishments? I think, I think you'll get through. I mean, the first few camps, you'll be real careful. I think once you get cocky and you get about halfway through <laughs> camp season, that sucker's yes. gone. <laughs> you know what's horrible is I, we already screwed it up because our campers are the ones that listen to this podcast. They're gonna they're gonna gank it because they're all on your side. You're not making them do double strokes all day long. They're gonna steal my key just to so you can win the bet. Uh, I don't care. I'm, yeah. I'm eagle eye with that so thing. So yeah, I, I say August when you're starting to get like okay, you're like okay, I'm I'm through the the first half. I'm good. I'm, I'm coasting. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little tired. Something's right. going to happen. The honeymoon phase <laughs> with the, the key of destiny is over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. End of August. It's Okay. End of August. So, so let's say that, um, uh, for those of you out there that haven't learned this about me, I don't know my months. What's the one after August? September. Okay. So <laughs> let's say September 1st. Dude, you know what? You got holes in your plan too, bro. All right. No one's as good at drums as you are Whoa. without having some holes in life. <laughs> And so, so I don't know my months. Big deal. All right. So we're saying September 1st, I have that drum key on my snare drum, and then the listeners get to choose the punishment. And obviously, we'll both agree on it. It can't be like shave off an eyebrow. 
Why don't we just define our own punishments for each other? Okay. I'm not scared. <laughs> what I'm not about scared. What's something that could potentially be... How about we get, to, we get to choose the genre that the other drummer has to play a three-minute drum solo on the show? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yes. All right. That is beautiful. Uh, yes, the the Mike Dawson three minute Calypso solo. It's going to be killer. <laughs> I was thinking blast beats for you. <laughs> oh God, that would be terrible. I couldn't even play the damn groove. <laughs> I'm all. All right, it's on. I think we've yeah, lost then right all about of here. They listeners. all start to go together. <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> I'll start here. All right, everyone, have an amazing, amazing week. If you can rate <clears> the podcast. We appreciate that. Write a review. Mike and I always read those and enjoy seeing what you guys have to say. Keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And until next week, we'll see you later. You always forget we have an outro groove, man. God damn Blast it! <laughs> You're like man, this one's cool, to too. Good. Yeah, this is... This one's cool. Matt Hendler, and I think it's in 7, right? Uh, Did you hear it in 7? I know. I felt it in 10. Like... One two three one two three one two one two one two three one two three one two one two. Really? Alright, well, let's do it again. <laughs> I don't know. Alright, so we're finally back from that break and Matt just confused <laughs> oh with his beat. It's in thirteen. I was originally hearing it in seven. Somehow. And I was Yeah, I mean I, I think I just misspoke because I, I it's been an hour since I listened to it, but I was hearing it as three 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 two two. One two three one two three one two three one two one two. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we crushed it. <laughs> oh my god.